a little bit nervous, so pray with me this morning. If you would, stand with me. The, the scripture for today will be John, the third chapter, the 16th verse. Very familiar passage of scripture. And it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. You may be seated. If you will, bow with me in the world of word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord God, just acknowledging who you are, Lord God. Oh, how excellent is your name in all of the earth, Lord God. There is none like you, Lord. You are holy and you are worthy, Lord God. You are, you are awesome. We ask right now, Lord God, that your word be preached through me this morning, Lord God, that you get all the glory and the honor, Lord, and that you condition the ears of your people to hear a life-saving word from you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. John 3.16 is probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It is the heart of the gospel and contains all the information needed to be saved. Most of us have most likely committed it to memory and can quote it without much effort. It is agreed that this verse isn't famous for without cause, but rather it is famous because it is one of the most well-articulated accounts of the gospel that you can find in the Bible. It gives us God's detailed plan to save sinners and to redeem all things touched and infected by sin back to him. It takes us from total rebellion and depravity to being new creatures in him. It takes us from total rebellion and disobedience to God to having eternal life and fellowship with him in just 24 short and simple words. It is the most, it is the greatest love story ever told. It is the most awesome example of humility and sacrifice ever written. It is a snapshot of the greatest love ever demonstrated. It is the key legislation to the greatest peace treaty signed and sealed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 is the fulfillment of every word and promise uttered to man by God. Today in our text, John outlines a dialogue between Jesus and a and a master teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a part of a religious sect called the Pharisees, who were proclaimed master teachers of God's law. Their name originates from the Hebrew, from a Hebrew word that means to separate. They were the religious and moral standard of Jesus' day, or so they thought. They believed that righteousness was obtained by the blood-born Jews who kept the laws of God. Nicodemus undoubtedly dedicated his entire life to purity, 
and to keeping the law. He probably studied the word of God, taught the word of God daily, um, and observed uh, observances like fasting and praying in hopes of seeing the kingdom of God come and for a physical salvation of God's people from Roman rule and reign. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, acknowledging him as one who was sent from God. And when he does this, he comes with all kind of flatteries before Jesus. He comes um, calling him a great teacher, saying that he was sent from God. And God just fast forwards past all the formalities. And he fast forwards past all the, the um, traditions of, and customs of greeting. And he tells Nicodemus flat out that he will not see the kingdom of God. He says, unless he is born again, unless he is born of water and by the spirit, that he will not see the kingdom of God. So all of his hard work, all of his serving in the church, all of his traditions and extra rules that he's added to keep purity in his life, all of his efforts to be separated from sin and to live a pure and holy life, Jesus tells him that all of that is for va in vain, that he will not see his kingdom come unless he is born again. This probably crushes Nicodemus. He has dedicated his entire life, he has spent his entire life serving in, in hopes of seeing the kingdom come. And a lot of times, this is, this is just how we are today. Um, we, we serve in the church. We're ushers. We're, we're believers. We were, we were in the church nine months before we were born. Our mothers were in the church. Our grandmothers prayed for us. They were mothers in the church. And yet God is saying that everyone must have a personal relationship with him. You can't just be born of man and, and have a good praying grandmother and be saved. Her, her personal relationship is a ticket for one to the kingdom of God. It can't get you in too. So he was, he was condemned and identified with the very world that he was trying to escape from. Um, he was trying to set himself aside from being condemned because they saw, they saw the the results of rebellion against God. This wasn't an evil thing that Nicodemus and the Pharisees were doing. They, they started off as really good. They were trying to add laws and purities to keep themselves from rebelling against God's word. They saw the, the exile to Babylon because of the disobedience of God's people. And this shaped a lot of what, how they followed the law. But they were too strict with it. They start adding more and more to God's word. They started to make it really, really strict and, narrow, and they narrowed the scope of what God intended for his people. He created the law to, to set aside his people and to have them be in fellowship with the Father. But they made it as a works-based salvation. They were counting on their abilities to keep the law, to, to be righteous enough to inherit the kingdom of heaven on their own, by their own works. Ephesians 2 and 8, it tells us that for by, it is by grace that we have been saved. It is not of ourselves or by our works, 
but it is the gift of God. And this is, this, is, this is what's relevant about this today for us in our context, is that a lot of us are in the church and we are serving and we are working, but we have to remember the heart of it. He created all these rules. He created his church in order that it might be an avenue of grace an avenue of love that someone may see the love of the Father and get into right relationship with God. It's not all about our works, but it's about the works of Christ and what he did for us. Jesus offers him life, but it's, it costs him his entire work. It reminds me of the story in Matthew 19, 16, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And it, and it reads, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. We have to let go of something in order to gain relationship with God. John 3.16 is a life-saving verse. And it, and it really highlights our condition today. Some of us, me included, come to church Sunday after Sunday, and, and we're, we're heavy laden. We're burdened by the, by the pressures to live up to the law, to, by the pressures of, of doing this thing by ourselves, of a try-harder faith. We don't have a try-harder faith. We have a, a, a dependent faith. A, a faith that is dependent on solely the works of Christ and what he has done on Calvary's cross for our sake. Which brings me to my first point. To accept God's great love is to deny oneself. Just like we read in Matthew and like it says in Luke 9.23, if any man was, is to come to me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a battle of of wills at this point. There's two ways that a man can live. He can either live according to the flesh or he can live according to the spirit. The Bible tells us that the flesh is in enmity with the spirit. It is contrary to the spirit and it fights against the spirit. So we can't live for both. We cannot have our way and accept the love of God. We can't accept the love of God and still do what we want to do. Oh, but that's just how I am, you know. Well, Christ had to die just because that's the way we were. That, he died for the way that we were. He, he had to shed his precious blood because we were the way that we were. We were dead in our trespassing and sins. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it paints a picture. It paints a picture for us about what we do what it looks like when we live according to our own will. 
And it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we live the way that we want to live, when we live without regard for God, these things are, are imminent, they're evident. Anything other than, than living according to the words of God, or anything other than living by faith that Jesus Christ has saved us is living according to the way of the world. When we identify with the way of the world, we are identifying with the condemnation that's on it too. Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but we were condemned already because we didn't believe, because we wanted to live to, according to our own way. Just some of these things it, that it talks about, sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. And the, th the one that got me was fits of anger. I'm not an angry person, right? None of us are angry people. But sometimes, you know, that person just keeps on and, and keeps on, and then you blow up. Oh, but, you know, everybody does that. You know, that's, a under, that's understandable. You're human. You're allowed, you're allowed to do that. That's how we justify it in our minds. But it's showing us a condition of our hearts. It's showing us that we're living according to the flesh. Any, any way that we have for dealing with sin other than turning it over back to God, who has already dealt completely with sin, is living according to the flesh. Any way that we have for, for dealing with that anger, for dealing with that jealousy, for dealing with the envy, for dealing with those relationships that, that are leading to sexual immorality, oh, I'm not, I'm not, we're not living together anymore, so, so we're good. We're just going to separate ourselves. No, you got to turn that thing over to God because it's idolatry. We're putting the created things of, of God over the creator in these, in these instances. We are pacifying the flesh instead of crucifying it. Galatians 2.20, it tells us that we can't pacify. We have to crucify it. We have to give it over to God who has dealt fully with our sin on the cross. 2 and 20, it says that, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have to. We can't deal with it with any other way. We can't play with sin. We can't, we can't just try to handle it on our own. And we try to do that a lot, don't we? We're strong enough to deal with it on our own, but we're not. We don't, we don't need Christ to help us to live. But just like, the, like Paul said in Galatians, we need him to live through us. We don't just need God to change our hearts. We need, he, we need a new heart made by Christ.
But he doesn't just stop there. He, he gives a, a stark contrast in Galatians 5 and 22. He doesn't just tell us what the, the fruits of or the works of the flesh are, but he tells us the opposite. He tells us what we should look like when we're trusting and believing for God to, to live in and through us. When we are connected to the word of God and we're living not lo no longer according to our flesh, he says this. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and there is no condemnation. When we're living according to his will and not our own, we can't produce this stuff on our own. We can't adequately love anyone outside of Jesus loving us first. This is a conditional love. Because he loved us, now we're able to love others. Because he, because he was patient with us, we, we now can be patient with others. Because he had self-control, because you know we were deserving of death. Romans 3 and 23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He was patient with us. Because he loved, because he sent his son, he doesn't condemn us, but he gives us opportunity for life. So to accept God's great love is to deny oneself, but not just to deny oneself, it is to choose God. Which brings me to my, my second point. To truly accept God's great love, we must choose to come to the light. John has a way of writing he has total polar opposites. So he, he, he shows us life, and then he shows us death. He compares the light, and then he compares darkness. And he's, he lets, he's letting us know by the way that he's writing that we have to choose one or the other. There is no middle ground. Either you're living for God or you're living for yourself. Either you're going to choose God's way or you're going to choose your way. Either you're going to walk in the light or you're going to walk in darkness. We, either we're going to choose condemnation or we're going to choose eternal life. John, John 3 goes on to tell us that we choose to walk in darkness because we love our darkness. We don't just choose sin and it's, it's something that just happened. We, we actually choose sin because we love it. We harbor it. We, we protect it in our lives. We, we protect these heart idols because we enjoy doing it. And, and this, this is the condemnation, that we're sinners. But light has come into the world, but we have chosen darkness instead because it's comfortable in the darkness. We're choosing temporary gratification of the flesh over the eternal greatness and the eternal gift of life of the Father. And a lot of reasons why we choose darkness over, over light is because we do not want to be exposed. It tells us in the word that, that there's 
that your sins will be exposed in the light. So we're, we're choosing death because we don't want to lose the reputation that we've set up here on earth. We're coming to church Sunday after Sunday, living in brokenness, but putting, cleaning up nice, putting on our nice church clothes, and we're coming in here Sunday after Sunday with our sin, heavy laden, coming and heavy laden going. He says, come ye that are heavy laden and, and burdened down, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He has not come into the world to condemn the world, but he's come to shine his light to show us just how much we need him. He's come to shine our light not so that he can repay us with condemnation and death like we deserve. He has shown his light in the darkness so that man will be saved. We have to choose the light over darkness. We cannot continue to come and choose death Sunday after Sunday. It's not worth it. What, what does it profit you to look good before men? God knows our heart. He knows what we're struggling with. He sees us in our secret sins. He knows that thing that you're hiding from him. He knows that thing that you, you're, you're, you're protecting from, from your community that you're even doing here at church. You, when somebody's asking, hey, how you doing? He knows where your mind goes to first. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with it. As long as we're clothed in flesh, we're struggling with sin. And I think, I think this verse is so relevant to our life today. We have men, of, men and women of God falling daily in our public because we're not adequately dealing with sin. And the only way, like I said, to adequately deal with sin is to confess it, to allow the light to shine on it, and to have it forgiven by the Savior. But we are in positions of, of power inside the church, inside these different organizations where we care more about our reputation here, more about our family name here, than choosing life through Christ. I love it. I love David's example of, of repentance in Psalms 51. It's after he was fallen. He goes and, and he, he mourns his sin. He mourns the strained relationship with God. He is the king of Israel, and he is publicly ripping his clothes, covering himself in ashes. He is not caring about public opinion at the time. He doesn't care that he's fallen, man. He cares that he has put a strain in the relationship between him and a holy God. What, what do we have to lay down in order to do that, in order to be that self, selfless, in order to receive the goodness of, of God? What's holding us back from that? Amen. Um, even as Nicodemus, he was in the dark. He came to Jesus at night in his darkness, but he came to the right person. He came to the light. And just like Jesus met Nicodemus in the darkness, he meets us the same way. He meets us in our situation. Romans 5 and 8 tells us that, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Not that we got it together, 
Not that, oh, we're just going to fix this part of our life and then we'll, we'll completely submit to God. No, he wants you to come and repent before him in a sincere heart with a, with a broken heart over our sins today. Tomorrow is not promised. It reminds me of, of a story, and I got clearance from Emmanuel before um, using it, but when he was little, he, he had these problems with his ears. He used to get ear infections over the, the smallest things. And he would be in so much pain. He would be in tears, and it would just be breaking my heart. Because he'd be, he'd be tugging at his ear, but he never, ever wanted to go to the hospital. He thought if he went to the hospital, he was going to get shots. And the doctor was going to give him shots. So even when we went to the ER, we couldn't get him to tell him what was wrong. So he, uh, everything's fine, tears rolling down his eyes. Everything's okay. Manny, just tell him what's, what's wrong. Nope, I'm, I'm okay. Can we go home? I just want to go home. I just want to go to where they're not going to stick me with a needle. <laughs> and that's how we act. Don't you know if you're clothed in flesh today, you're dealing with some kind of sin in your life. And Jesus said that it'd be better if you were blind. He was talking to the Pharisees, and they were offended because one of his examples indicated that they had a flaw. And then he said, it would be better if you did have that flaw. Then you would, be, you, you would be saved. I could save you if there was something wrong. Stop being so strong. Let go. Surrender over to the master. He wants us to walk in the light. There is freedom in the light. There is liberty in walking in the light. I don't know if you've ever been forgiven when you don't deserve it, but there is a, a weight that is lifted off of your shoulders when you are forgiven for no good reason. They, you know that this person you did wrong by could have slammed you. They, they could have vented their anger at you and been righteous for doing so. You know that their wrath, you deserve their wrath, but they gave you forgiveness. They gave you grace instead. There's no better feeling than to be forgiven by the Father. There's no greater feeling than, than to walk in liberty, than, than to not to carry the shame, to walk in a room and think everybody knows what you did last night. There's no greater feeling than to actually be free, not to fake like you're free, not to fake like you're joyous, not to fake like you have love, joy, peace, and happiness, but to actually be given it by the Father, for no other reason than he loves you. John 3.16, I thought it was an elementary verse when I started this. I thought it was going to be easy preparation, but he has really been just digging up these sin issues as I'm, as I'm studying, as I'm just going over the simple truths of the gospel. We never outgrow it. We never outgrow the, the, the need for repentance. You're never going to outgrow God's love. You're never going to outgrow the need for the Father's love. We stand in need of it every single day. And the more we get closer to the word of God, the more it means to us. For God, yeah, God, God was just this guy when I first started out. You know, I, I knew about him and what he did for, for Israel. 
I knew what he did for, for Moses. I knew what he did for Abraham. But as, I, as I'm growing, as I'm learning, but he did it for me. He did it for my family. So when I read these words, it's a love story now. It's for God, my God, who delivered me from my sin. My God, who forgave me for no good reason. My God, who made a way out of no way. My God, who redeemed me from my loss and brokenness. Thank you, Lord. It means more and more, more and more as we grow in it. Our world is filled with brokenness. To accept God's love is to repent and turn. It's to believe God's word. It's to believe that God is the answer to the brokenness in this world. It's to believe that Jesus came and inserted himself in my brokenness. He had compassion and he acted. He could have condemned, but he acted in love and grace. And he extends it to everyone. It is to to believe that education isn't the answer. It's to believe that, that, that building up oneself, to being selfish, to pursuing this American dream isn't the way to salvation. But it's to believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient for the remission of our sins. It is to believe that Jesus Christ's blood still works. And it brings power and grace and liberty God's great love. To accept God's great love is to repent and to believe. To live not for our own interests, not, not for our own ambitions, not by our own way, but to study God's word and to learn and to be taught by the Father of how he would like us to live. about with me. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come thanking you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord God, that brings life to your people. We thank you, Lord God, for another chance to repent and to turn from our sins. Lord God, have mercy, Lord. Allow your words not to go forth void, but to accomplish what you would have it to accomplish. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.